Hello and welcome to the first episode of The Prestige for 2018. Well, at least the first proper episode. We're returning to our season-long looking at a director at a time. As you may know, at this point, Prestige is a podcast for film fans by film fans. Each week we pick a movie, we talk about that movie, we discuss the ideas and themes it throws up, and some of the sort of inspirations it strikes in us. We end the show, as always, with our recommendations for further reading on movies that we think link either thematically or by cast or by crew or somehow to the the movie of the week. But as always, we start the show with our what else we've been watching, a chance for us to plug or decry some movies we've watched outside of this week's movie. So Sam, uh, the New Year's rolled around, Christmas, all that sort of stuff. Have you got anything you want to talk about in terms of what else you've been watching? Uh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Babies, eh? Yeah. Um, not really. It was not a not a stello Christmas TV Christmas types of films. Um, although we did watch quite a few of the uh, David Walliams films. Um, so the the Boy in a Dress and there was another one. There's one, Grandpa's Great Escape. That was good as well. Um, and they're, they're in their adaptations of, of kids' books. They're not particularly amazing, but it, they seem to be well put together and uh, the scripts are fairly funny and he, he's obviously a very good writer um, and if you can get over the fact that he will appear in them almost always in drag um, because that's what David Williams does uh, they, they're good fun so they, that's all I've been watching over Christmas Fair enough, fair enough I, I've got almost the tale of two movies uh, to talk about and they're linked by a common actor um, but that is a more coincident than anything else. The one of which is the. I'll, I'll start with. I'll start with the good or the bad. Which do you want, Sam? Uh, start with the bad. Let's end on a positive note. Uh, I watched Dirty Grandpa. Oh god. Dirty Grandpa, if you don't know, is a Zac Efron and Robert De Niro movie from a couple of years ago, uh, in which uh, Zephron plays an uptight lawyer who needs to be relaxed by his dirty grandpa. In this film, you will see Robert De Niro masturbating. You will see his penis. You will see lots and lots of male nudity. You'll hear lots of horrible things. It was abysmal. It was shockingly bad. <laughs> it it it's it was kind of we watched the entire thing. It was kind of like a weird car crash. I gave it one and a half stars on on uh, Letterbox, and at least one of those stars is for Zac Efron, where you can you can. You're better than this. I mean, like De Niro's gone off off the cliff a little bit in his later years, but Zephron, you're better than this. You're better than this. But yeah, that was that was shocking. Um, but the flip side of that is we did actually see another Zac Efron film recently, and that is The Greatest Showman, tale of P.T. Barnum and uh, musical starring him and Hugh Jackman. Brilliant, brilliant songs, brilliant acting, brilliant sort of stage design and set design. I we thought it was wonderful, especially. Wonderful. Right. I'm interested because you're not a, a a musical musicals person. See, this is one of those things. It's become a bit of a thing that I don't like musicals. Um, but I don't think it's true. I don't like Moulin Rouge. Well, no, I'm, ju- I'm just thinking the last one we talked about was La La Land and you weren't too into that. No, I mean, it's just like, but then I love every Disney film I've made. I'm a big Disney fan. 
I enjoy all Disney films. Mm-hmm. I like a lot of old classic musicals. I love High Society. I love White Christmas. I just think there's a, the recent modern musicals haven't grabbed me in a way that the older ones have. Um, but this one did. This one really did. Um, it's got message in it, shall we say? Um, it's hammered home through several songs. But it was just, it was just great. And it was having seen Zac Efron be struggling in a bad film with um, Dirty Grandpa. It was wonderful to see him actually cut loose in a role that he's much better at, and bring his actual like, talent to it. And you know, Hugh Jackman's always very good, always of good value, um, especially letting loose his more. Uh, Broad Broadway skill set here rather than his Logan skill set. Right. So yeah. Alright. Tale of Tale of Two Movies. Tale but two. Uh, yeah. The Greatest Showman is worth checking out. Yes. Okay, well I still yet to see Star Wars. That's higher up my list at the moment. <laughs> all, all I can say is this is flashbacks to me a year ago where I'm like, <laughs> I've seen nothing. Yeah. Right then. So this week we are moving on in our director's season, mini season. The first mini season of the year is um, Alejandro Gonzalez Iñárritu. Um, now, those of you who know us will know this is definitely my choice. Um, Iñárritu is one of my favourite directors and has been for a couple of decades. And Rob is, I think, to be persuaded of the merits of some of his films let's put it diplomatically we shall see we shall see um so we start off with his first film his first big breakout 2000 2000 film Amores Peros Morris Peros, or the English translation, loves a bitch, although I've got more things to say about that translation later on, um, was his breakout film that won, won several awards, including um, a Cannes Award in 2000. It follows three stories, and this is sort of in Yaritu's uh, calling card, it's what he does a lot, uh, three stories in a, in a triptych that intersect in a climactic car crash that's shown in the first sequence um, and this film follows various lives loves and occupations including particularly front and centre the occupation of dog fighting in Mexico City um, and it's the first of his um it, Upbeat, happy, known as Trilogy of Death, the films that he made in the um, early to mid 2000s. So, Rob, what are your thoughts? They are multitudinous and deep when it comes to this point. This is a film that I had to approach a certain way um, that I can't get into a little bit. Now, I first saw this film when I was in university. I I did a film degree at Aberdeen University, and 
something called Peer Video, it was a video store in town, and they have, what because of the big film degree, an amazing selection of international, independent, art house cinema you could rent. And so we watched a Morris Meadows when I was at university, on a little VHS in my friend's house, and it blew me away. It was amazing. I loved this film. It was it was real. It was immediate. It was violent in every sense of the word. And it was a slice of life that you just didn't see in the cinema at that point. And I must say, I haven't watched it since. So here we are, fast forward 15, 16, 17 years later. I sit down to watch this film. And it was boring. And it was very strange to sit there and think, this film meant a lot to me. But now... I can't engage with it. I don't engage with it. Mm. And it was... I was tweeting a little about this while I was watching it. And I somehow had to, to, had to... I had to reach down and touch and interact with 20-year-old... 21-year-old me who watched the first time and was blown away with it and seek out what worked then and what didn't work now. And I think a lot of that is to do with exposure. I, I grew up in, in Berkshire in England... And whilst you know, we had BBC Four and Film Four, a few things like that going on, my exposure to this kind of cinema was, was minimal at this point. And so to me, this was an explosion of colour and life and cinema that I hadn't experienced. The intervening 17 years, I have experienced a lot more. The things that made the Morris Perez amazing when I saw it first time now have been copied and remixed and copied and remixed over the last 15 years. To the point where were these intersecting stories and the slice of life and the naturalistic style of shooting and editing and talking and acting become less shocking and less amazing to me. So I can't really give a good answer about what I thought of this film because it's kind of it's balanced between those two things where it was an amazing film when I first saw it, but I feel it's now become one of those films that it loses its power by nature of its copycats and it's 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 appearance is a pop cultural thing that people have done over and over again mm. by, by this director and by other directors so and one way that's a bit of a non-answer but it's kind of where i was with this kind of trying to explore why i love this film so much and how i've changed mm. and i don't think it's the film I, you know i think there are often people who sort of will cast back to what i love this film when I was at university but really now it's a bit of a bad film and i don't think that's i don't think it's a bad film at all it just didn't elicit the same response to me. I think that's exposure. Hmm. What about you, Sam? As you say, the, 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 the um, Alejandro is, is is your director more than he is mine. Yes, I. Before I talk about my response to this film, actually, just while you were talking there, it reminded me this film as I was watching it reminded me of Dodo's Garden. Mm-hmm. Um. The way that the sort of the naturalistic way certain things are shot, following various stories, particularly in um, poorer parts of a city, and you have sort of with El Chivo moving through basically slum areas with his cart. It felt very much like certain scenes in the in the earlier film, and I wondered. I mean, I, I see what you're saying. This is a film that has been copied a lot in the past 17 years, mm. particularly by Inherita himself. I mean, we will go on to see other films which follow a pattern that he has laid out. But I wonder whether this is something that 
actually was being done 30 years before. I, I'm, I'm a firm believer in there's nothing new under the sun, really. But in cinema, and all we are dealing with is, is a brand new remix. You know, everything that's amazing has been has echoes. There's a great um, uh, Vimeo series, I think it's called Everything's Remix. Mm. Um, it talked about how everything you're seeing in cinema has been... And that's fine. That's the nature of art. That's the nature of these things. Um, and, you know, you sometimes you get a mix that is mind-blowing and say to me, this was I had seen. And, you know, I, I have seen sort of the, the gritty British sync dramas that... that uh, that sort of come the same kind of slice of life of the under, of the working classes, but the the mix of everything they put here blew me away when I watched the first round. Mm. But I, th- I think you're right. It just felt like this this mixture that was explosive in 2000. They've literally copied that mixture over and over again. Mm. Yeah. Um, I uh, and that I mean the extent to which it's been copied and to which it's been drawn on other films which I very much enjoy it sort of detracts a little bit for it from me from it for me um I I'm I mean I I love the director and I love many of the things that he does and I think this is a very powerful film but I don't it it feels to me a little bit like some of these um these tricks and details that you can see being explosive in 2000 now feel a bit dated. Mm. Um, and it's very sad to be that something 17 years old can be dated, but it really is. Um, I do think there were, I mean, just, just to talk about some of those, those amazing bits of cinema, just the, the way in which he cuts between different shots, the mechanics of, and I don't know whether it's him or the cinematographer, but the the way that he moves between shots of Octavio when he's speaking to Susanna at the beginning and then speaking to George, and then it goes from a dogfight and a focus on Octavio to suddenly a funeral that Octavio is watching. You, You have those really fast jump cuts, Mm. that I think are particularly effective. So although as as you're saying, I, I think this is this is something that has been revisited possibly too much in in the intervening period. This is, we, we shouldn't forget that this was something something really, really powerful when it when it first came out. Mm. And and I think I think my my disconnection right now, I don't want to ever think that it lost its power then I, I, I'm not trying to you know, undo my view then, certainly. Um, but I know you're saying, talking about that, that kind of cutting, it really reminded me of, um, and we discussed this previously, sort of the technique of Russian montage. Mm. Um, the idea of you intercutting two almost disparate images and you kind of, you, you pull out a third meaning from them. Um, and you're right, he, he does, he's got these three stories going on. A dog fighting, the model, and the... Um, the sort of the homeless drifter hitman, mm. um, and he the, you get this intercut, and obviously the stories are explained more as we go through. Especially the um, El Chivo stories get explained. You see bits of it more and more through the story, but you do get that feeling of inter these interlocking stories, and by cutting between the two in a very sudden, very abrupt way, 
that you are told there is an overarching thing. There's something that is connected, apart from the actual connecting of the incident, but there is an overarching connection of story, an idea that they're trying to talk, put together here. There's all one story being told, even though it's three stories. Mm. And I think that, that speaks, going back to what I was saying about the, the title, the way in which this title has been translated tells you what this whole film is about. And it's mm. translated sort of, I suppose, a bit glibly for a, a wider English-speaking market as loves a bitch. And, and there's something sort of a bit throwaway and flippant about that. But actually, Amores Perros is is to do with dogs, to do with dogs mm. in the plural. And if you translate it as loves are a bitch, not only, or loves are bitches, not only are you talking about the dog fighting that is such a huge part of it, but you're also talking about the fact that all of these stories, all of these different loves are what this film is about. And this film is about the nature of love and the nature of the way that people interrelate. So I also think I, I agree with you on that, but I think there's also something about the, the nature of dog in there because I, cause I mean m- my Spanish is rusty at better times, um, and so I, I was kind of thinking. But for me, it was more like the translation was closer to like, like bad love, and the bad could be good or dog. Um, but I think that there's something around the idea of natures of dogs that you know the uh, Octavio's dog is supposed to be this family unit then becomes this killing machine and at the end you see him killing all of the um el chivo's dogs um and i think there's something around the nature of dogs then and, and richie richie the dog in um the middle section um he he dies under under the floorboards and we talk about the nature of love but also there's a nature of relationships between humans and animals Yes, and something else that this, I mean, it seemed strange to say this is a film about love, and what this film is also about is the way that love breeds violence, and violence has something, as a passionate expression of your feeling for another individual, and then, Mm. and and that's where it is, is... is the dog of the title? Are the dogs of the title good or bad? As you were saying, is this about love or is it about violence? Well, I, I think, I think to touch on the idea of violence, I think the violence is a good theme for for this movie. That there's probably my my look at this film all comes from a technical filmmaking point of view. There's a lot of violence to the story, but it's all very different sorts of violence. The first story, Octavio's, is a very uncontrolled, wild violence. You know, the dog fights are, are very viciously violent. There is the fights between Octavian and his brother, and all that. So it's all very, very intricate, very fast, and, and, and there's always these, these crash zooms and these crash cuts and different things, all the way through. Cut, 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 cut. cut. It's a very violent editing of them. You switch to the middle section, and it's not a violent story, really, but there is this violence to their relationship, this volatility. And if you watch the editing, it starts very slow in that story. It's very paced, very relaxed, because it, that's all about the slow build of this anger between the people. And then you get the third section, Chivo, where it's once again, it's, it's in fact more being more violent, but because of his nature as a guerrilla fighter and a hitman, it's a much more controlled violence. It's somewhere between the two. That it, it is a actual violent scene, and there's obviously violence between him and the people he kills and the two brothers who he interacts with. 
but it's much more he's in control. The camera follows him. He's the one taking control of the narrative for us. And it's kind of, it expresses the ideas of violence that are portrayed in the narrative, also in the way that it cuts and shoots the sorts. I was just thinking about the the way that he leaves the brothers with a, with a gun between them and scrabbling for that. I was just just wondering there whether it was something that the director of Saw had seen because it's the way that Saw starts as well. I very much thought the same thing. I thought that we were talking awfully about cultural copies and remixing that idea of two people tied to the wall with a gun between them, neither of them can quite reach. Mm. It felt very very similar. Yes, I think and I think also the. The way that 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 section of the film and the film as a whole ends in anticlimax, and I don't mean mm. that in a negative way at all. I've seen reviews of it that say, "Oh, I was disappointed with the ending," and I I just don't understand that at all because it's a beautiful ending, and the the way that that story, which is about, has been about the violence of an individual. It, it ends in such a non-violent way. It ends with him making a decision to put violence to one side and to leave, leave the brothers to work out their own differences and walking off. And the way he, he actually walks off screen, having decided that he's he's putting violence behind him. But I think that's... that's I, mean, I agree. I think the this is where all three stories have their own endings. Obviously, Octavia's story ends... Kind of with him trying to lure his sister, away, his sister-in-law away again, and kind of failing. And clearly, it's a, it's a, a bleak ending for um, Octavio. And then the married couple have a shot of the potion no longer being there, and it feels like they. The reason why his ending at the end, which I, I really think is a hopeful ending, it's a hopeful shot at the end, is because he's willingly set aside violence. Yes. Yeah. Whereas the couple. They had they, the, the cause of their violence, which is her her loss of her career, has been taken away from them. And Octavio clearly just couldn't isn't going to escape his his life of crime he's put together there. But he El Chivo decides he goes, you know what, I'm done. He, he decides to give up his lifestyle, and he decides to reconnect as he can with his daughter. And so by foregoing violence, by finding the non-violent solution to his problems, he's able to achieve this kind of hopeful ending the idea of stepping out of this what at this point has been a very contained world if you think about all the shots in this film there's very few exteriors it's almost all interior it's almost all close-up shots it's all very in your face you know that's the power of this film is these close-up shots you're right in the action the cameras are right there and then we end on this beautiful vista it's, it's an industrial one, it's, it, but having come from the almost claustrophobic nature of everything else, even his house, in which he meets the two brothers, it's all very little alleyways, no big rooms anywhere. And then you get this vista shot at the end. It's like the idea of if you can forego the violence, if you can step away from the world in which we live, that is this violent, chaotic, claustrophobic world, there's this, there is hope, there's this utopia, this, this vista of possibilities in front of you. Mm. And actually, although, and that's something that Octavio can't understand, and it's something that Susanna understands very early on, she knows that the two brothers are part of this violent, interior, self-serving world, and she knows that she is going to have to escape that, she herself is going to have to escape that. This is why Mm. she keeps saying to him that you don't get it. 
And what he doesn't get is that he is just like his brother. And what yeah. he thinks is, I'm going to give her a new life. I'm going to be a good man to her. I'm going to give her the life that my brother is not giving her. But actually, what he doesn't get is that he is part of this. Inter- and that's what you're saying with this this really focused interiority throughout the certainly the first section of the film and the second section of the film as well. This is this is something that these characters don't have. These characters are very self-involved. Well, the idea is you, you can't escape the life by living the life. Mm. Like, dogfighting is going to make you money, yes, but dogfighting isn't a way out of dogfighting. No. You know, you don't escape the violence by being violent. And I think it's very interesting, especially you look at Octavio's story, where he starts off with you know, a, a goatee and long hair, and very much, like, very starkly different to both his brother and Ramiro, his sort of rival. Come the end of the film... He's got a shaved head. He's got a shaved, uh, shaved beard. He's, he's he's become these people for whom he was clearly in opposition to start with. Mm. You know, he he was you know he seemed like you know a nice kid starting. You see the slow degradation in which he you know ends up killing a guy, um, and he, and you just see him kind of in his attempt to escape this life. He all he's done is dig himself deeper into that grave. And there was a, there was a scene, one the early, maybe not sex scene, but certainly sexual scene with him and him and Susanna. Um, it was, a, I really felt this contrast between the earlier scenes in which you see his brother ignoring the baby and not being a good father. And you've got a TV going, well, I will be a better father. I will be everything that I should be. And then he basically almost has sex, or has sex with the baby mother, with the baby lying there. Mm. Now, I don't know how you roll in your house, Sam, but that isn't how we do it over here. Well. Um, and it, just, it, it just felt like he's kind of becoming everything he said he hated and wasn't. And that moment in which he basically somehow, somewhere between forces himself and seduces Susanna with the baby lying there, both ignoring the baby and giving into the base desires. And it really felt like, it's just like these all these shots are showing him slowly slowly becoming the person that he said he wasn't going to be well on that joyfully optimistic note (laughs) Rob do you have any recommendations for us I do I've got two Um, and I am denied I have three on the list and in the end I've thrown out probably the most critically acclaimed of the three um, in favour of one that was heavily not critically acclaimed As Uh, as is your want as is my want. So my first recommendation, now both of these films predate Amor Perez. So we're talking about remixing ideas, and I think that there's elements of at least one of these in Amor Perez. So I'll start with the earliest one, which is 1995, and that is the French film La Haine. La Haine, starring a very early Vincent Cassel, who's gone on to do a lot more things, directed by Matthew Kasovich, I think his name is, tells the tale of three friends in the midst of French riots. It's 24 hours in their life, basically. It is everything that Amor Perez has with the idea of this slice of life of the under, the violent world in which people live and the violence that defines their life and the violence which is going to end their lives. It's, it's beautifully shot, shot all in black and white. Um, and it has that same element of throbbing violence that you get with some of the Amor Perez stories all throughout it. So if you haven't seen it, it, it is it's in the same box as Amor Perez, that kind of... Um, City of God style underworld slice of life thing um, it's brilliant um, going from the sublime to the ridiculous shall we say my other film is the 1999 film 200 cigarettes 
Now, it's okay if you haven't seen this film. A lot of people haven't seen this film. This film tells the tale of New Year's Eve, essentially. And it is thousands and thousands, ten or so stories, all interconnecting. Uh, it's got Ben Affleck in it. It's got Casey Affleck in it. It's got Dave Chappelle, Elvis Costello. It's got Jerry Garofalo. It's got Kate Hudson. It's got loads of people who you'd recognise in it. And essentially, it's a very American studio film. Um, but it has that same kind of motif of different stories interacting, trying to tell. It's all about love. It's all about trying to find relationships and love. It's kind of like a, a better version, you'd say, of Love Actually. At least you'd say that. Um, it has that kind of American shiny feel to it. It's hilarious. It's brilliantly active everyone in place. It, it bears no thematic. It bears no structural, I mean, no, no stylistic link to my prayers. But structurally, it has that same idea of different stories interconnecting, dipping in and out of each other, meeting for a moment and dis- moving on. So this idea that this, this remixing of this idea, as you say, everything from the then all the way through to now. Um, but yeah, I really dug it, and it doesn't get not a lot of love. So yeah, 200 cigarettes, 1999. Right. Sam, what about you? Um, well, I have picked an actor for both both of my suggestions this week. Um, and I'm w- within our narrative mini season. We're going to have a Gail Garcia Bernal mini mini season. Um, and there are two other films made by him. Uh, shortly after this, um, he was playing a, a similar character in his, throughout his his early twenties in several films. The first is Itumama Samien. And the second is La Maleducation. Now, neither are especially light-hearted in subject matter. <laughs> no. like the first one's traumatic sexual awakenings. Maleducation is about historic child abuse. But, it, to be honest, both are brilliant. And both are well worth watching if you don't, if you haven't watched them before. Um, the latter, in particular, um, was very very powerful and it stayed with me long after watching it so i would recommend those two highly so that's it for our first episode of a new season guys we'll be back next week with 21 grams 2003 entry from Iratu. till then guys you can find us both on twitter at pretty podcast you can find just me at life underscore academic and you can find just me at rob kindry before we wrap up, guys, I just want to say a thank you to everyone who's given us a review on iTunes. You've been saying some lovely things, and we appreciate all of them. And some of you have gone to become patrons at our Patreon account. Once again, thank you for that. If you want to leave us a review, give us a like, anything like that, we really appreciate it. And if you want to throw some, some dollars our way, you can find us at patreon.com forward slash kaidrofm. <laughs> I, I wanted, wanted to throw my two cents in because Rob is terrible at self-promotion. He, he knows this. He is public about this. But something that people should know about is that he's just started a new podcast. If you're interested, at all interested in tabletop gaming or role-playing games or Rob himself, anything to do with any of those things, then yeah, go, go check it out. Thank you, guys, and we'll see you next week. Prestige is a Kaiju Industries production. Check out their other work at facebook.com forward slash Kaiju Industries. Rawr.